3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'd be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Interest rates soaring? Check. Inflation raging? Check. Paid $120 at the pump. Check. President confusing the already muddled inflationary waters with apocryphal messages about Medicare pressuring drug companies while he hounds the only possible allies he has to bring down prices the oil companies. Check. Europe agrees to cause more self inflicted pain by banning Russian oil sales. Check. China says it's open for business, but it looks like only paid actors are tugging the streets right now. I mean, wasn't that? They were actors. Check. It's all bad. Uh, But if it's so bad, how could we come back from a huge down opening with an ocean of red ink to have a not so terrible close? Dow dropping 223 points, but it further much higher. S&P declining 0.63 percent, Nasdaq edging down 0.41 percent, despite the bonds just getting crushed. There's a simple reason. I think inflation is starting to peak and the Fed's there to push it over. That's why this market became more resilient, even on a bad day, a day that could have been down big after last week, which was the best performance the market has put on in two years. Where's the giant profit taking at least? We're in a remarkable moment here where we have switched from wanting growth to wanting no growth, as long as we don't have negative growth, a.k.a. shrinkage. No growth may be a worthy goal for the Federal Reserve, even as the president would prefer an economy with more stable growth. Hey, wouldn't we all? Based on his statements today, Biden doesn't just want to avoid a hard landing. He doesn't want us to know the Planes experiencing turbulence. Can that happen? You know, the stock market is saying yes. The astronomical checklist of worries seems almost to inspire buyers, even as dividend stocks finally have some worthy competition from the bond market, given that the 10-year is sporting a 2.84% yield and your money back guaranteed. Unlike treasuries, I mean, unlike stocks, remember, tre- treasuries are basically risk-free. Sure, the government can stop paying its bills, but at that point, you've got a lot bigger problems to worry about than your portfolio. So how the heck can stocks compete with bonds? Well, it doesn't hurt that they've now fallen so far that they represent much better values than they did last November. Let's just pick three of them. Let's start with Amazon. Now, here's a stock that's down nearly 28% for the year, Amazon. Many investors no longer consider Amazon a growth stock, even if the stock sells for 45 times the next year's earnings. I know, it's outrageous, ridiculous even if there's no growth. You know me. As I'll repeat for CNBC's investing club members at my noon conference call on Thursday, I want to own the stocks of companies that make real things or do real stuff and turn a profit in the process. Profits that can return to shareholders in the form of dividends or buybacks. As long as your shares is traded at a reasonable valuation, everybody's entitled to make mistakes. And Amazon's made some big ones. It's gone from an evergreen fast mover to a COVID play that's mentioned in the same breath as Peloton or, or, or Zoom video. Frankly, I think that's insane. It makes me angry. Amazon is a company that can earn $82 a share in 2024. Now, before you laugh about me using 2024 estimates, remember that 2022 is almost half over. These fastest growing companies, and I insist that Amazon is faster growing than most, simply are not going to sell at the market's average multiple of 18 times. That's what the S&P, you're paying for their earnings. It's not going to happen. And it shouldn't. I think Amazon can sell at 27 times earnings if it takes its medicine. Now, what would it mean for Amazon to take its medicine? Well, they got to cut back on warehouses that are no longer needed, cut back on workers who can get new jobs quickly if they let let them go in this environment, and get more aggressive on the advertising side of retail, while maintaining a big lead in the cloud with Amazon Web Services. Next thing you know, that $82 of earnings per share in 2024 turns into 100 And you're buying Amazon stock for close to a market multiple in those numbers. While it's not as insulated from the Fed's rate hikes as I'd like it to be, understand, unlike traditional retailers, Amazon's not going to be stuck with huge inventory. No glut here. No giant amount of overhead once the medicine's taken. All right, I got another one. How about a company? A company that now sells at a gigantic price-to-earnings multiple discount to Coca-Cola or Colgate or General Mills or Campbell Soup, despite having a better balance sheet and a much bigger buyback. I'm talking about meta-platforms. Yeah, the the artist formerly known as Facebook, with a stock that now sells it for 14 times next year's earnings after this decline. look, let's just compare Clorox, right? I mean, it's kind of like, that's a Clorox is chlorine. It sells for 27 times next year's earnings. Meta-platforms, which will begin to trade as META, not FB, starting June 9th, as we learned later this evening, saw its stock got obliterated last week when Snap, the parent of Snapchat, missed its quarter. Snap? All the indignity. It's like Meta's back to being just Facebook again. No Instagram, no WhatsApp, no Reels. They're TikTok killer. And Oh, by, by the way, I think it will kill TikTok. The stock's trading like the whole metaverse thing is just one big joke being played on Mark Zuckerberg, which seems pretty unlikely to me, given his track record. At this point, you're thinking Zookie at the plate, at the back. And, 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 and mighty Zookie has struck out. Hey, forget striking out. He ain't even in the stadium. Oh, and before you poo-poo the metaverse, let me give you a little heads up. Jensen Maugh the genius behind NVIDIA is his partner in the project. Even if you don't trust Zuckerberg's judgment, some of the smartest guys in the industry have bet big on this thing. I know you're thinking, I'm about to spell out FANG again. No! I'm not going there. Some of them are too expensive, and I think the is no longer useful. But let's take another underrated name from the old FANG. Let's call it Google. Now, Alphabet, let me tell you something about what Google really is. Before we handed off my Mexican restaurant to our partner, Petru, forced to do so, by the way, because under federal rules, you cannot own both a liquor company, as my wife does, and own a bar, as I do. A resident of something called the Tide House Rules, where companies that make liquor aren't allowed to sell it in an establishment, like how car companies aren't allowed to sell vehicles directly. They have to bring in dealerships as minimum. But when we still had the Mexican place, we had to figure out what kind of advertisements give us the best rate of return. I was thinking maybe it would be flyers. Or next door, now reduced to a stock under $3. Hey, free beer! Never a loser. But hands down, it's Google. Because people Google everything. And you can get people to come to your place by being at the top of the queue. At the same time, you can send people directly to your own liquor brand using Google. Well, at least it sends it to the brand. It doesn't mean it's, that it's a place to buy it's not like Amazon. Google remains the best way to advertise, and we all know it. If you're cutting back on advertising, you're not cutting back on Google. You're cutting back on everything else. Google is the way you move product that you can't move on Amazon or Instagram, the other two places you can sell things. So you think they get hurt when Snap gets hurt? I don't even think they're in the same business. So what's really happened here in the miserable months since the Fed decided it had to stamp out inflation? Simple. Amazon, Facebook, and Google have become colossal losers. And while they may stay losers, the bottom line is they've fallen so darn far that I think they've become metaphors for a whole host of stocks that are now ready to rally because they've got nowhere else to go but up. James in Virginia. James! Booyah! Booyah! You I you like doing? that. Booyah!
1: Um, so since 2020, I've been loading up on Lockheed Martin. I'm questioning, should I hold here or double
3: down? I like Lockheed Martin so much. When I was going over the charts this week, I saw Lockheed Martin and the Thorne Raytheon Technologies. Both of them look terrific. I want to be a buyer of Lockheed Martin. Rachel in Florida. Rachel.
0: Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, Second time caller now and member of the investing club. Oh,
3: fantastic. See you Thursday for our conference call.
0: Yep, I'll be on it. Oh, great. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask about this real estate stock. There's a lot of opinions right now in the real estate world. And if we're going to more slowly increase housing costs or if we're in a bubble, it's about to burst a lot of opinions on mortgage rates. Um, from what I hear, there is a consensus of perhaps a seven to eight percent mortgage rate by end of the year. Um, I have been selling a few of my stocks at a loss to try to purchase other stocks. And as you put it, high grade my portfolio with that being said. For someone with, let's say, a 10-plus-year investing horizon, this stock's pretty much at its lows and down around 63%. Would you say Zillow is a hold or sell right now or maybe even a buy? Uh,
3: I can't say buy it. I think that the company has, has in many ways, made so many ill-advised decisions of late, and they're not making money when you look at the past. In the future, they might. It is still an expensive stock. So the answer is, I can't go there. All right, guys, listen. I'm trying to describe a world where some of our favorite stocks have been crushed. Amazon, Facebook, and Google, now Facebook, by the way, is meta, became big losers. And while they may stay losers, I think they've fallen so far that they've become metaphors for a whole host of stocks that can rally because they've got nowhere else to go but up. Well, oh, man, buddy, tonight, Salesforce poured to Bell. So what could the cloud king tell us about the state of tech amid the recent crunch? Let's talk to the CEO. Then, Larry Williams has an impressive track record with his technical analysis. I'm going off the charts to see if this market could have more room to run. And fresh off earnings, I'm getting the latest from the CEO of HP to see if the PC and printing company could continue to navigate everything from inflation to supply chain concerns. So stay with Kramer.
4: With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Head to netsuite.com to start saving.
0: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed.
3: After six months of intense misery, the cloud stocks may finally be showing some signs of life. Look at Salesforce, the company that pioneered the whole enterprise software as a service business model. This stock was cut in half from its peak in November to its lows last week. But thanks to the market-wide rally, it's rebounded a little bit off those levels. All along, I've said this is about the Wall Street fashion show, not Salesforce's actual business, which continues to do great. It's just that the market turned against growth stocks in general. But like I said at the top of the show, maybe the profitable ones have been punished enough. When Salesforce reported it for the close today, they knocked it out of the park with a set of better than expected numbers and some solid, though a little bit imperfect guidance, conservative, let's call it. Now, the stock's warring in the after hours trading, and maybe it's got more room to run. So let's check in with Mark Benioff, the co-founder, chairman and co-CEO of Salesforce, to get a better sense of the quarter. Mr. Benioff, welcome back
1: to Mad Money. Jim, thank you for having me. And it's great to be back with you. Well, Mark, I've got to tell you,
3: I have never heard more trepidation about a quarter that was as great as yours that I can recall since 2008. Why do people not realize the recurring revenue and the strength of the business model that just gives you over and over again a level of performance that is, well, that is the fastest in your category?
1: Well, Jim, you're right. It was a remarkably healthy quarter. And I'll tell you, our pipeline is also very strong for uh, the rest of the year. You know, revenue was about $7.41 billion, Jim, up 24% year over year. That's really incredible. And the cash flow right behind it at $3.7 billion, another incredible result for the company. But what I'm most proud of is our remaining performance obligation at $42 billion of revenue that has been signed but not yet recognized on our books. That is an
3: extraordinary figure. Now, it looks to me uh, people who sometimes were saying, you know what, Slack's not working. Other people told me, you got to ask about MuleSoft that's not working. If all of these acquisitions aren't working, how do you get $42 uh, billion in in, uh, in remaining
1: performance obligations? Jim, you know well. First of all, there is no finish line when it comes to these acquisitions. So in many cases, those analysts are right. But the reality is is that no one has built a more comprehensive solution for our customers than Salesforce, and that's what our Customer 360 platform is all all about. And you're right. Slack was up over 40 percent for the quarter. Our Sales Cloud over 18 percent. Service Cloud over 17 percent. Incredible numbers for Customer 360. But let me tell you, Jim, I think it's really in these customer stories that are exciting. And, and probably the one that I was really excited about this weekend uh, in Monaco was uh, Stefano Domenicali. You remember him? The CEO of Lamborghini is yes. now the CEO of F1, our new customer. Very exciting. And they need Customer 360, the ability to connect with their customers in new ways, to get them all on journeys, to have the right solution for sales, whether they're selling sponsorships, customer service, marketing and slack all of those things are now in place for f1 and it was a incredible race uh, in monaco i don't know if you saw it with the rain it was unbelievable now next year they're
3: in uh in vegas will that be something you'll be in charge of trying to figure out how everybody can come together on it
1: (laughs) absolutely they're an incredible new customer and using the whole customer 360 platform jim and i'll tell you another one that's amazing is state farm who's been a long-term customer of salesforce but i'm so proud that they're now using our field service product, in addition to everything else that they're using on Customer 360, which we've talked before about how AT&T is using that. And you know, State Farm has a phenomenal CEO, Michael Tipscord. We've mm-hmm. had a great relationship with him. They even have a fantastic new board member, Keith Block. We know him very well, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't be more proud of the success of uh, Salesforce and uh, State Farm and how that's become such a strategic customer for us.
3: How many uh, eight or nine figure deals? Big ones?
1: Well, Jim, I'll tell you, there's many, many exciting customer stories. I can't tell you exactly how many eight, nine figure deals, because that isn't really something we talked about in our first quarter. But what I will tell you is that Goodyear um, and Rich Kramer, who you know very well, we did an incredible uh, extension of our Customer 360 platform with them with our Commerce Cloud. And You know, this is another great extension to Salesforce uh, where companies can sell direct. We've talked about that before with Yeti. And we also even talked about that with Sonos during the pandemic. And now here we are with uh, Goodyear also implementing this amazing new uh, technology. I'm really excited about that. And we're also announcing that Gina Raimondo at the Department of Commerce is going to be distributing her $48 billion of grants for infrastructure using our core platform. So a lot of exciting customer wins in the, in the, in the quarter. All right, go around the globe for me because
3: there's tremendous gloom everywhere. Uh, you were just at Davos. I mean, people are concerned, obviously, about Russia and Ukraine. We know that China and the lockdown, you've been instrumental in trying to be able to get people to move on in their lives, but at the same time, move on them safely. These are touch points for you. And yet around the globe, things aren't necessarily going your way.
1: Jim, you're right. You know, we've seen uh, interest rates going up. We've seen inflation going up. We've seen the stock market going down. You know, we've seen supply chain problems. We've seen foreign exchange has been something that we could never have anticipated. You and I have spoken about that. I was Mm -hmm. in Japan last week, and I had an incredible experience where I realized, wow, it's really great to be a tourist in Japan. Everything is so cheap right now. But it's not great when you have a business in Japan and you have to roll the revenue back up. To the United States, because while we had a great quarter, Jim, the U.S. dollar, they had a far better quarter than we did. Right. I've never seen the strengthening of the dollar like this over the last 90 days. It's been incredible. And uh, that's why we you know, having to make slight adjustments in, uh, in what we're thinking we're going to do for the year. But at the same
3: time, I'm seeing Dell having a good number, HP having a good number. Maybe we're all just too gloomy. I mean, some great
1: companies are coming through here, including, of course, yours. Well, I was with Michael Dell last week. I was with Enrique Loris last week. I was with uh, uh, hundreds of CEOs last week of the World Economic Forum. And I think that while our customers are all, you know, um, as observant of the news and everything else as we are, there there also seems a lot of robustness in their business. And they're very excited about the future, as am I. And they're really the, the key, Jim, is just putting those two things together, being appropriately conservative going forward. Because look, we're... We're not blind to what's happening. We can see what's going on. But at the same time, customers are so excited. They have very little debt on their balance sheets. They're excited to move forward into this market, and they want to go. And so we want to help them, and we want to make sure that they're connected with their customers. We want to make sure they understand their numbers with Tableau. We want to make sure they're connected with all their information systems with MuleSoft. And that is what we are really excited about. And we met with hundreds of customers last week at the World Economic Forum, Very consistently, we see a lot of optimism. But, of course, people are, you know, have their eyes wide open. And that's why I think some people would say your guidance was not what we
3: wanted. I'm saying it's conservative guidance, giving everything you just told us.
1: Well, Our guidance is really impacted by foreign exchange. That is what we could not see. We have now had to consume about $600 million of foreign exchange changes since our investor day. Since we first gave guidance last November. And if you look at that deacceleration of, for example, the yen since March, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And of course, you know, we see these changes in the euro, we're seeing it in all of the currencies, and the dollar gets stronger and stronger as you know an incredible safe haven. And while that's great if all of your revenues in the United States, if you do have strong businesses internationally, like we're the third largest software company in Japan right now, I think will soon be the second largest software company in Japan within the next year or two. Well, that's going to impact, you know, how we roll that up into our total
3: guidance. Well, look, it was a great quarter. I understand exactly what you're, how you've spread the right word. And I've got to tell you, uh, I want to congratulate you at a tough time. when a lot of other people pretty much have succumbed to the gloom. That has not been you. Thank you so much, Mark Benioff, co-founder, co-CEO, and chair of Salesforce. Great to see you, Mark. Yeah, back great the to break. see you,
1: Jim. All the best. We're Thank fine. you.
4: Coming up, when the Dow gets you down, chart a course for success. Kramer checks in on the major averages next.
2: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash card.
3: A week and a half ago, we were in the depths of despair. Stocks kept getting pulverized day after day. Major household name companies reported hor- horrifying numbers. Numbers that made you feel like we were being eaten alive by both inflation and a slowing economy. It was a slaughterhouse for the bulls, a paradise for the bears. When the market's getting killed like that, everybody wants to hide in Foxhole. Hardly anyone is willing to stick their head up and be a hero. But there was one guy who was bold enough to call the bottom. Right here on May 20th, just as the market was bottoming ahead of the best weekly rally in two years. I'm talking about Larry Williams, a legendary technician and market historian who's been in the game since before I could drive. Larry's written more than a dozen books. He's created a host of his own proprietary indicators, all of which you can find on his website. We use them all the time. His website is ireallytrade.com. More important, he's got a stunning track record on calling these big moves, especially when it comes to the bottoms. And when everyone else has given up in April of 2020, when the conventional wisdom said COVID would destroy the economy and we'd have double digit unemployment for as far as the eye can see, Williams predicted the economy would start recovering within weeks and the market would recover with it. Ever since, I've told you that was the most brilliant contrarian bottom call I'd ever seen. Then on Thursday, May 20th, we had a similar situation. widespread panic, despair, capitulation. It seemed like everybody was giving up on stocks. Just think, I know, seven straight weeks of negative. Williams looked under the hood, though, and he saw a bunch of encouraging technical indicators that pointed to an imminent bottom. I told you to believe him, came out here and said it, because I trusted Larry Williams more than I hated the market. Sure enough, stocks immediately caught fire last week while I was out of town. Maybe I should go on vacation more often. Key lesson here, when the market gets insanely emotional, you don't want to bet against the best technician in the business, because he has a better handle in these situations than we do. So now the averages have rebounded like crazy, I wasn't going to go back to the well. I have to. What's next? Can this rally continue, or will it turn out to be just another short-lived bear market bounce like we've seen often, maybe in the last 18 months, again and again? To answer that question, we're once again going off the charts with Larry, because as far as I can see, he's the only one who called it right. And you know what? He thinks we've got more room to run, maybe a lot more. The first thing Williams points out this past Friday, The market's breadth was incredible. Out of the 500 stocks in the S&P 500, 96% of them were up, while only 4% were down. If you wait by market cap, 95% of the index was up. Williams says that's incredibly rare to see such an extreme display of buying power. How bullish is this kind of action? I want you to take a look at this monthly chart of the S&P futures going all the way back to 2008. Yes, these vertical red lines show the moments where 95% of the SP 500 advanced in the past week. For last week, we've seen this kind of breadth only six times since 2008. And in every instance, it turned out to be a phenomenal buying opportunity. That includes the rally off the COVID bottom in 2020 that was extraordinary. The Fed mandated bottom in 2016, which was amazing that he caught this one. That's when Janet Yellen nipped some nascent inflation in the bud. The debt ceiling bottom in 2011, the market had been down 19% going into that. And, of course, generational bottom in 2009. If history's any guide, this kind of swift rebound should be a major inflection point for our beaten down stock market. According to Williams, we're dealing with a very bullish situation. In other words, he thinks last week's gargantuan rally may be the beginning, not the end. How much upside could we be dealing with here? Now, I want you to check out this extremely long-term chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average Network a way back machine, going all the way back to the late 50s. Williams loves to look for cycles that seem to repeat themselves over and over and over again. Some of these are short-term, but some can last for ages. For example, a few years ago, he noticed a 12-year pattern in the market. You can see it reflected in the uh, red line at the bottom of the chart. Right there. You can see the pattern going from the bottom in 1963 to the next bottom in 1975, 12 years later. In both 63 and 75, this pattern was spot on in forecasting a major rebound in the stock market. That's another period where we were dealing with sky-high oil prices, rising inflation, a not-so-hot economy, and, of course, the persistent threat of nuclear war. Now, I want you to check out the chart of the Dow from 1984 through early 2000s with the same 12-year cycle right there, bottom red. Once again, it called some magnificent rallies in, in both 1986 and late 1998. Hell, okay, how about the late 2000s through today? Take a look. The last time this 12-year cycle predicted a major move off the bottom was none other than 2010, which turned out to be an excellent time to buy. Now it's 12 years later the cycle's forecasting another significant low. And crazily enough, We had a monster move last week because this cycle is so long, there aren't a ton of data points. But it's been a surprisingly reliable indicator. And once again, Williams believes we're looking at an extremely bullish sign. Now, there's a part of me that just hates this kind of analyst analysis. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, my gut says it shouldn't work. Twelve years is an attorney in this business. How could there be a 12 year cycle that's repeated reliably since the 60s? The whole idea seems fanciful, like picking stocks based on astrology. But you know what? If you can find me in astrology, you can make predictions as reliable as Larry Williams. I'll gladly feature the work on the show. So zooming in, what does he see for the market in the near future? Check out the weekly chart of the Dow with a shorter term forecast. Williams says this market has a dominant 75-day cycle. And if you trust that cycle, it suggests we're due for a nice rally through September 1st. Okay. In short, he thinks it's going to be a very nice summer. Again, I don't know why these cycles exist. I don't know why they seem to repeat themselves so reliably. It bothers me that I don't know why. But the thing about Larry's methodology is that it works. I tell you, he's an historian and a technician, and he knows his stuff. That call last Friday was so fabulous. You can only bet. That he's a tough guy to bet against. Larry Williams perfectly called the bottom the week before last. Now his analysis suggests we got a lot more room to run. He thinks this is not just a short-term bounce, it's a move that could last through the end of August. And given Larry's track record, I'd much rather bet with him than bet against him. Bob in Massachusetts. Bob. Hey Jim. You know, booyah
1: means gratitude, so I want to give you an infinite booyah.
3: Man, I'm taking Uh, that right down. I'm taking that to the bank. What's going on?
1: Well, you helped make me a portfolio millionaire, so I won't forget. Since the pandemic started, I was a little worried about my company, so I went into Netflix options, which made a lot for me. I moved it out at the right time, and now I'm heavily into core. And I hold the options for October and January. Do you think they're going to make some kind of a big
5: comeback in the next few months?
3: Well, I think that Nucor is right now hostage to the Fed. I think that it is doing incredibly well. A lot of the analysts keep downgrading the group because they simply are worried that this is the group that has a big slowdown into any Fed-mandated recession. I can't disagree with that. But I also know Nucor is the best of the game. So sometimes you have to take some pain to get a big game. Let's go to Kyle in California. Kyle. Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah, Kyle. Hey, I hope your Memorial Day was good. Hmm? I hope your Memorial Day was so good. Oh, my Memorial Day was dying. I hope yours was too. I mean, we had the best time. And I'm guarding. I got the garden going. So we're good. What's going on? Right on. So I've got a question about a stock that trades at about 45 times earnings. They just posted a really solid quarter, and I believe they raised the items. And uh, my question is about Intuit and how they're doing in this environment. That was a great quarter of the growth stocks that have reported during this period. Intuit was the best, and it was the best across every single category. And a lot of that is because small business remains strong, a lot of that because it's just a really well-run company. All right. Larry Williams perfectly called the bottom last, not this Friday, but the Friday before he caught the best rally in two years. So I went back to the well. You know what he thinks? He thinks we've got a lot more room to run, maybe to the end of August. And I'm inclined to believe him. But for Mad money, including my exclusive with HP, looks pretty good. Legacy printing company. What is the secret to printing profits in your portfolio? I think it's Enrique Lores. Now I'm running through the court report. Then Chinese stocks jumped higher today. So what should you do with this group? I'll give you my take. And all your calls rapid-fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Even after last week's remarkable run, you know this has been a bad year for most socks. There are exceptions, though. Take HP Inc., a computer and printer company with a stock that's within space bidding distance up its all-time highs, even as Wall Street has turned against tech hardware. I've been a big fan of this one because HP's got a cheap stock, a solid dividend, notoriously BIG buyback. Plus, they've got a thriving enterprise business that seems to be holding up much better than the consumer side. Didn't hurt that Warren Buffett took an 11.5% stake in this one back in April. Today, we found out that Buffett still got it because when HP reported it for the close, they delivered a solid top and bottom line beat with strong guidance for the current quarter and management raised their four-year forecast. While it wasn't perfect, I mean, cash flow numbers came in a little light. It was still very good. So let's take a closer look with Enrique Loris. He's the president and CEO of HP, Inc. To learn more about the quarter and what comes next, Mr. Loris, welcome back to Mad Money.
5: Thank you, Jim. Great to be here.
3: Okay, so Enrique, it looks like a very good setup for you. Once again, delivering. Now, there are so many people who tell me to be concerned about consumer PCs. HP, which a lot of people associate with that, is actually able to, I'd say, determine its own destiny much more than what the naysayers are talking about.
5: Well, I think we we had very strong performance on the PC side, mostly because of the growth that we got in the commercial business. Our commercial business grew 18%. And represents now about 65 percent of the total pc business which is a very solid number on the consumer side as you were saying we saw a slowdown we were expecting that but we were able to more than compensate with our growth in commercial
3: i did not detect real problems with supply chain which was my primary concern how are you able to triumph over those?
5: well we continue to be in a challenging situation from a supply chain perspective but we are starting to see the impact Of all the work that the team has done during the last many quarters a few quarters ago we announced measures to drive long-term agreement with suppliers redesign our processes build more tools and we are seeing the impact of all those actions in our results
3: now i'm always fascinated by the work from home a lot of people felt that it would be over a lot of people felt that to try to invest in work from home was already too late I read through your results, and what it tells me is we're still in the process of amazing migration of people working from home. That deal is that is not something that's an uninvestable theme. It's an investable theme
5: still. I, we see hybrid work as a great opportunity for us to continue to grow in the future. And when we talk about hybrid work, we mean working both from home and from the office and giving employees flexibility to do that. For example, three weeks ago, I was in Japan, which you will agree with me, which is is one of the most conservative countries in the world in terms of working habits. I talked to many large companies, small companies, medium companies, and all of them acknowledge that they are going to be enabling hybrid work going forward. So if this is happening in Japan, I can tell you this is going to happen everywhere else in the world. So tell me
3: about the Poly acquisition, what it means for having the best hybrid working environment?
5: Well, with with Poly, we are going to be complementing our portfolio in terms of solutions to create video conferencing rooms, to enable employees to connect from home with the right headsets, with the right cameras, and we are really excited about the acceleration this is going to provide us both in our peripherals business and in our workforce solution business, which are two of our key growth areas.
3: Now, Enrique, we have Logitech on quite a bit. They're a competitor. It seems like it's a bit of a cutthroat industry. Will you be able to maintain some good gross margins?
5: We, it is an area where, because of hybrid work, there is a lot of room for innovation. If you see the experience that we are enabling today with people working from home and working from the office and trying to connect, it is a very painful experience today, especially for those that are not in the office. We are going to be driving the innovation to make everybody feel included in the meetings. And when there is innovation, there is margin.
3: Right, so what do we do with printing? I mean, you know, I, there will come a day. Where I will say, you know what, I don't want to see those negative numbers anymore. Enrique, do something. I'm sure other shareholders feel the same way. What can you say to them?
5: Well, this quarter, the performance of print was driven by supply. In fact, demand was significantly higher than the capacity that we have both for home and for office printers. And we are doing a lot of work similar to what we have done on the PC side to improve our performance and create and get more components that will enable us to regain some of the share we have lost this quarter and to grow, especially in the second half of the year.
3: All right. So in other words, what could have been the number then? In other words, I'm thinking about maybe in light of what you told me, uh, there are some people at a higher number than what you delivered that that would have been uh, if it were not for maybe printing. I don't know. You, you didn't really quantify in the release. Russia, maybe these were the reasons why you didn't have like the blowout quarter I'm getting used to from you.
5: We, we had a very strong quarter. And yes, we managed a lot of these challenges and micro difficulties that we continue to see. But I'm really proud of the work that the team did managing those challenges. And this is why we decided to increase the full guidance of the year to reflect the confidence that we see in the second half of the year in the ability of the company to both continue to manage the environment, but also to grow in our, in, in our growth portfolio.
3: Now, I know you talk to all shareholders. I know that you treat everybody equally, but it must have been exciting to see Warren Buffett being a big buyer. Have you had a couple of conversations with him?
5: So, first of all, having one of the most respected investors as one of the investors in HP is a great signal a sign of confidence for, for all of us. I try to, to talk to, our, to all of our key shareholders. I have talked to Mr. Buffett, but as you can imagine, we keep those conversations confidential. Of now, course. I'm going to share a little bit of a secret that I learned okay. that I think you're going to learn. I learned that as you are He's a happy customer of an HPPC. He uses one of our products, and this is another incentive for us to continue to drive that business forward. Well, you
3: and I both, I was with someone this weekend They're looking at my PC. They could not believe the resolution. They couldn't believe the touchscreen. They couldn't believe the sound. And I told them, I said, look, it goes in the everywhere because it's not heavy. I know I'm your number one endorser, but it is fun. Your PCs are fun. Well, look, congratulations on another good quarter. I want to thank Enrique Loras, President and CEO of HP. Always great to see you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Right. Yeah, money's back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do
4: we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round.
3: It is time to the lighting round. round And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Time the round. start with Tyler in California. Tyler, booyah, Jim, booyah. Long, long time listener, second time calling. All right, good to have you. The Investors Club. And the oh, thank you. The stock I'm liking right now and investing into, despite the bad earnings and possible FDA approval around the uh, corner, is Novavax. No, I mean, look, I've been waiting. You know, they've made a lot of bold claims and they may get it. But you know what? We have a great leading companies. We have Pfizer in it and we have BioNTech. And and that's what we needed. Let's go to Danny, Arizona, please. Danny. Yeah. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, I was I was calling about Cenex. It hit a wall when Russia invaded Ukraine. I'm down like 56 percent. Is this thing ever going to turn around? I, well, look, I, I think the metals have peaked, okay? And I think that's part of the idea that I talked about at the top of the show, that it's just a question of how much the Fed wants to push to really knock inflation over. And that's what you're dealing with. So I cannot recommend the stock, even though it's very cheap. How about Joan in New York? Joan? Hi, Mr. Kramer. Thank
1: Joan. you for
3: all that you do for this morning. Thank you. Thank you. You're
1: great. I
0: have a symbol, RBLX robot.
3: I can't recommend a stock that is not making money. You know how I feel about these companies. If they're not making money, they are not on my list to buy. How? No, how? 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 Speak to me. Jim. Yes, how? Huge booyah from Cleveland, Jim. Uh, Man, I'm going to Cleveland soon. What's happening? Great place. You're talking about lithium mining, I think it was last week. What's your take on life Li, I like this Goldman piece this weekend about how lithium may have peaked. I'm not going to go there. We're dealing with a lot of peaking of a lot of different metals. I'm staying away. How about we go to Brent, Michigan? Brent.
1: Jimmy, Mr. Green Thumb, chill. How's it
3: going? Oh, man, garden looks good. I got that nice and I got this really good irrigation system going. What's happening?
1: You know, last night I was kind of depressed. I was sitting at the dinner table. I forgot to deposit my paycheck. My daughter said, Dad, grab your phone, take a snap of it, upload it to the bank, and boom, bye, it's deposited. I tried it, and it worked like a charm. Made me think, how's the banks doing this? Led me to this little tech company. Well, they're not little. They have 98% of the market in this. Great moat. They're profitable. 5% bottom line. Knocked down a little bit in this market. My company's MyTechSystems,
3: ticker symbol M-I-T-K. What do you- I have work to do because I didn't know they had that kind of percentage of the business. If that's the case, then you're absolutely right. Let me do more work. And let's go to Ease in Florida. Easy. Hey, big booyah Booyah. for easy money. Hey, the charts look out of focus and my eyes hurt when I see BHC. How is their market cap less than billfold market cap? Because 70%? there's, all right, the answer is because people feel that the actual bond, the debt, is crushing BHC. Now, Joe Pop, I think, is doing a good job, but he brought the Bausch & Loam sub to the market at a very bad time, and that's really, really crushed the stock. I am a believer the trust owns it, but we have it in abeyance until we see something that tells us that the interest, the bonds are not as bad as they look right now. Chris in Virginia. Chris. Booyah, Jim, from Northern Virginia. How are you? With, good. With the newest oil ban by the EU, will U.S. oil companies benefit? Specifically, Pioneer has been firing at all cylinders. Can we expect more horsepower from GXC? Well, there are a lot Why of people who could... felt that this deal with OPEC, which might allow them to be able to pump more instead of Russia, is going to knock these down. So you had a total reversal in Pioneer today. Pioneer went all the way from 288 down to 277. What I would say is you got to wait for it to come in because it's going to come in a little more, and then we're going to buy some more uh, by Thursday, hopefully. Oh, geez, I may be frozen for, that's because I forgot the date, for the Chapel trust. We will talk about that Thursday 12 o'clock at our club meeting. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The
4: Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: Today we saw a huge amount of buying in Chinese stocks. Everything from Baidu, the Chinese Google, to Alibaba, the Chinese Amazon, to Pinduoduo, the agricultural tech platform, and JD.com another online retail. This is a good sign for American companies that do a lot of business in China, including AMD, NVIDIA, a pair of semiconductor names that we own for the travel trust, as well as Nike, Starbucks. But I need to remind you, it's a bad idea to invest in companies that are based in the People's Republic of China. I think it's insane that anyone would even take the chance, given what we've seen over the last couple of years. Right now, the Chinese government is taking a bold stand on COVID. They want to wipe it out with lockdowns because they refuse to use the best vaccines. They only want their homegrown stuff that's not as good. We've got a much more laissez-faire approach the, to the virus in this country. Get your shots and go on with your life. I prefer our method. But if China's lockdown will work, then once they're over, any company doing business and making things over there will do better, including Kramer, Fave, Apple. But that's not a green light to buy actual Chinese stocks. In recent years, it's become crystal clear that the Chinese market is not a free and fair exchange. We've had more than 250 Chinese IPOs during this period, and many of them destroyed people. The very stocks people were buying today have been horrendous long term investments. Why is this? Look, I'm not a rocket scientist. China is a communist country. Forty odd years ago, they embraced free market capitalism to lift their people out of poverty. We applaud that. That's only a means to an end. As soon as the country got wealthy enough, the Communist Party went back to its roots. They decide which businesses win and which ones lose. If the CEO gets too powerful, the government will bring their company down. Check what happened with Didi, the Chinese Uber. Disastrous. Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, used to be all over the media. Now he rarely makes public appearances at all because he's a billionaire and he's got to keep his head down. That's why I urge you to take a page from Chairman Mao and purge these Chinese stocks from your portfolio as they go up. Sure, the Communist Party is once again trying to pump up its economy. I think you can afford to sell these stocks slowly because the government often makes a concerted effort to push them higher. But it's time to realize that the United States is the best place to invest. Europe's held hostage by Russia because the whole continent's addicted to Russian natural gas. This morning, they finally decided to say no to Russian oil, but I don't think I, but I don't know how much that matters, given that Russia's whole war effort is basically financed by EU's natural gas purchases. South America, well, let's just say it's become less and less investable thanks to a series of major social selection victories. As for the rest of Asia outside of China, Japan's got demographic problems. South Korea's got energy problems. Taiwan's got a China problem. Hey, how about the U.K.? Take a look at Unilever. It's been an hideous underperformer to the point where they had to bring in Nelson Peltz, the American activist investor, to fix the company the same way he had to do with Procter & Gamble, which we own for the Chapel Trust. Britain's companies seem ossified. Right now, there's only one developed country that gives you the best values. The most competitive managements and the finest outlooks for 2022 and 2023, despite the strength of the dollar, and that's the United States. Why go to China to lose money when you can go to the US to make money? Don't be fooled. Historically, Chinese stocks are awful performers. Their regulatory oversight is almost non existent, and their government's capriciousness is outrageous. So get out of these stocks while they're running. I admit they could keep running for a little bit, which means you gotta take time, you, know, you can take your time to get out of them. Put that money into the best market, the market of the United States of America. I like to say there's always a bull market summer, and I'm trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepherd Smith starts now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.